don't know when Pastor Mark is going to keep you on your toes. He's going to change the words, the verse. He's going to make it happen. So we've got to follow our leader no matter where we're going. Amen? we got to follow. We are all together. We're going up together, and we're going down together. But thank you. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Hey, I'm telling you what. There's no scarier place to be than behind the keys and the words are going one way and the music's going another way and you don't know where you're at or where the congregation is. It's the scary part, but we've got a great leader. Amen. Amen. We're going to follow you. Where, whatever. Whatever you're going to lead us in, we're going to follow. Okay. Speaking of following, the Israelites followed their leader to a place in which they faced an, what seemed to be an insurmountable obstacle. Um, they overcame every obstacle with Christ, and this morning we, we see how they overcame Jericho. They found themselves, they had crossed the Jordan River that was uh, at flood stage. God did a miracle, and they, count, they come now to face their first true test in claiming the promised land, a heavily fortified city. This people that had marched through the Sinai Peninsula had come and were now ready to take possession of what God had promised for them, the promised land. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 6 this morning as we read Joshua chapter 6 verses 1. Through 20. God's word says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And then when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth. Until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. 
Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction." Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So all the people shouted, And the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, which is true, which is sure. We thank you that you are not a God who is far, but you are a God who is near and who speaks today. And Lord, we need to hear from you and we pray that you would speak through your word to cut through our pride and ourselves. Lord, give us your grace and your mercy and your strength today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A familiar passage from a familiar people people who should have been familiar with the mighty miracles of God that they had seen and experienced. And yet even so, with each new challenge comes a renewed sense that we can't live on yesterday's manna, we can't live on yesterday's faith. We've got to trust God today for the obstacles that lie ahead, for the challenge that lies ahead, for the the task that lies ahead that's before us right now. And so in this text, we see the Israelites arriving at Jericho and they had to strengthen their faith yet again. Did they really trust and believe the Lord and His promises, His promises to give them the land, His promises to give them this heavily fortified city? From this passage, we learn a a few things. Number one, the Israelites overcame Jericho In God's timing. They overcame Jericho in in God's timing. Now it says clearly the city was tightly shut up. Meaning they had it encircled. It was in siege mode. They were in siege mode. They had the city surrounded. And the city had all the gates locked. All, everything locked and loaded. They were locked down. So it was sort of like a, uh, you know, it it was like, it was good for the Israelites. Okay, yes, we've got them surrounded. But it was also a challenge. Well, they've locked all the doors. And this is unlike anything we've ever faced before. 
Um, they had faced battles in the field, but they had never faced a, a city, especially a heavily fortified one like, like Jericho. So what did they do? And they have two options. They can sit and wait, or they can, they can attack. You've you got to think they were thinking through, okay, how are we going, how are we going to do this? But they had something very unique. They had something that, that no one else had. They had the Lord. Amen. They had Joshua who rose early in the morning to seek the Lord. To hear from the Lord. And when we seek the Lord, He speaks. And when God speaks, we listen. And God made very clear His timing. And when we look through Scripture, God is... You know, when we see time, we see time differently than God sees time. God exists outside of time. So he experiences in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the very end of, in the beginning of eternity, he he sees that all in the same sense. We experience time, it's sort of like if we got in the, um, if we got in the kayak, down here at the landing and, and went down the watery river and wind through it where it goes. Eventually, several days later, if we survived, where would we end up? Yeah, you'd end up in the ocean if you'd made it that far. Um, but it would, take, it would take you some time to do it. And you, you would you maybe stop and camp and along the way, but you would see every bend and every tree and and, and every, every little part of that thing. Now, the guy who takes off at Columbia International Airport in his plane, can he see the Watery River? Yes. Can he see the ocean? Yes. He, sees it, he sees the whole stretch, the beginning and the end, and that's sort of, in a small way, that's sort of compares, comparing how we experience time and how God, God sees the, the big picture, everything, all equally at once. So there's nothing that happens for, the, for us like as we kayak down the river of life. There's nothing that happens on our journey that's a mistake or a mistake in the timing that God doesn't already know, that he's not already there, that he doesn't already see. So God had a purpose and a plan for the Israelites in bringing them to Jericho at just the right moment And he had a purpose and plan in the very timing. Sometimes in Scripture, God tells us to wait on the Lord. How do we like that? What does it feel like when God, when we're even, we're in the midst of a storm or in the midst of a, maybe a decision in our lives, and we don't get the answer right away? Or maybe not the answer we want. Man, we so... We don't like to learn that lesson. But sometimes God makes us wait. Not because He's not ready. But because A, He can see the whole length of the picture. And He can... He knows sometimes... We're not ready. There's sometimes he's got to slow us down because we try, to, we try to make things happen or we try to get ahead of God. The Israelites 
waited 400 years for God to fulfill his promise that he made to Jacob when Jacob took his family and they moved to Egypt. It was about 400 years before God fulfilled that promise and brought them out of Egypt. There was 400 years between the end of Malachi and the last prophet and when Jesus Christ was born, there was 400 years of silence where God's people had to wait. We don't like to wait. Sometimes God tells us to wait. There are other times in which God's timetable is much quicker than ours. If you remember when Jesus was here and he went and called his disciples, and he found Peter, Andrew, and Peter, James, and John, and Matthew just says, Come, follow me. What does it say the disciples did? It says, And immediately, immediately they dropped their nets, they left what they were doing, and followed Jesus. There was no sitting around and waiting it. There was no, um, let's call a friend and and let's get some advice. There was no, um, well, we need to have a study group on that that needs to go and investigate and then come back and make a full report and then we vote on whether or not to receive that report or get some more information and when Jesus called the disciples, what was the, what was the response? How long did it take them to respond? No, and it was, it was assumed. Jesus' call there, the call to follow Him, the call to discipleship was immediate. It said, leave your nets. Here was another example. It was an example in which there was not going to be any delay in taking this city It would have been much safer to wait, to just wait it out, to wait the city of Jericho out. Following a military strategy, if the city was cut off, all they had to do was keep it cut off. Eventually, having gone enough time without food or water or resupply, the Jericho, the city of Jericho might be in a little, uh, might be easier to negotiate with, so to speak. This would have taken months. It would have been easy. It would have been safe. But God's plan here was not the easy road. It was not the safe road. And God's plan, it didn't take months to take Jericho. It took seven days. And a challenge for us God is issuing a call to us to follow Him, to trust in Him. What are we going to do to heed His call? What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? If God has called you to trust in Him, if God has called you to step out and serve Him, if God has called you to do something, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for someone's permission? Whose permission do you need when it's the Lord of heaven and earth? 
Are you waiting for when you'll feel good about it? When it, when it, when it will feel right? I tell you, I tell you it, didn't, it didn't feel right for the Israelites to march around Jericho. That took it a tremendous amount of faith and trust. 2 Corinthians 6 2, Paul writes and urges the Corinthians today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, not when you get your life together, not when you get all cleaned up. Today is the day. What does God call us to do? Does He call us to have it all figured out first? No. He calls us to simply trust Him and to surrender to Him. And that doesn't... That's not a one-day thing, church. That's waking up every morning and surrendering yourselves to the cross. The Israelites overcame Jericho not in their timing and not in the timing of the world, but in God's timing. And God's timing is always perfect. The second thing the Israelites did. The Israelites overcame Jericho by God's power. You know, they had Jericho surrounded. It was like, okay, we got, we got them surrounded, now what do we do? They faced a thick, fortified wall. A wall in which they had chariot races on the top. A wall in which houses were built into this wall. So this was, a, this was a formidable wall. They had never faced anything like this. They had always faced enemies. Before this, all their experience had been in the field, which was a little more evenly matched. They had never taken a city, albeit a heavily fortified one. They didn't have siege works. They didn't have artillery they did not have battering rams. They didn't have any of the things that the, the great armies of the ancient world had and had figured out, and this is how you take a city. But this was the first city. This was the first city in the promised land. This was an important battle. You see, what Israel did here, what happened here, would set the stage for whether or not they were going to be able to take the promised land. If they failed here, if it stopped here, they were in in danger. If if they got stopped at Jericho, number one, uh, they could have been demoralized. Number two, it would have emboldened the other cities and people, uh, the other Canaanites to come in and say, hey, we can take these guys. They're easy. They come. uh, Sure, there's some stories about what happened in Egypt, but we can take them. Notice, they did not develop the strategy to take Jericho. Who developed the strategy? Yes, the strategy did not come from man. It, it, It came to man. But it was from God. The angel of the Lord, the Lord gave Joshua explicit instructions on how to defeat the enemy. He did not give him, uh, did not give them a, a typical military strategy. Do you notice that? I mean, nowhere does it say, okay, divide up, put your, um, 
you know, put your artillery here, put your cavalry here, put the, you know, put your spearmen here, put your archers here, none, none of that. And, and let's, um, you know, kind of get the high ground. There was nothing that, what, what was the strategy? The strategy was to march around the city, was to simply take a step of faith and walk and follow God. You know, it, it's interesting too. He doesn't say, and he doesn't even say, okay, march around the city for seven days and demoralize them. March around the city and let's do some psychological warfare and, you know, hurl insults at them and start singing, na, 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 na. Hey, 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 goodbye. No, right? They did not. Today we do that. We call it psyops. We drop leaflets in, you know, over in Iraq and Afghanistan. We drop leaflets in and we... You know, I remember um, when I was a kid, um, was, it, was it Noriega we were getting rid of? And the, our, our guys set up, 82nd Airborne set up outside his compound and played hard rock music 24 hours a day to drive him nuts to try to, you know, we, God didn't say do that kind of stuff. God didn't say march around the city and shoot arrows at him the whole time. Or lob stuff over the wall for seven days. What did God tell him to do? God told him to walk. God God told him to keep their mouth shut. Have you ever tried to do that? You You know what the hardest thing to tell a kid to do? Is don't say, we're playing the quiet game. And then the next person that says a word is out. I can't do it that long. I'm out. Y'all were saying, amen, we'll be, we'll be out of here pretty early, preacher. You're out. Okay, Mark, Pastor Mark, come on over. Uh, yeah. A million people had to be quiet. A million people, and what was right in the center? What was center stage? What, what, was, what were the priests to do? Priests carried the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, which contained the Ten Commandments, it contained part of uh, it, part, it contained Aaron's staff that had budded in the in the wilderness. The Ark of the Covenant that sat in the in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, and 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 above that, the presence of God dwelt, and the priest were to take the Ark of the Covenant and they marched around the city once a day for six days and on the seventh day, seven times. That was as military as it got, y'all. Who was the focus? Was the focus on anything the Israelites did? The focus was on the presence of God. And the battle plan that was drawn up was not one that made any sense from a human mindset. The battle plan that was drawn up was the people of God following the will of God, trusting and worshiping the God of all gods. 
You see, this battle was not a physical battle. It was a spiritual battle. And a spiritual battle is not fought with physical weapons. A spiritual battle is fought on our knees. Spiritual battle is fought by the power of the Spirit. A spiritual battle. It's not fought with a human sword, but with the sword of the Spirit. Amen? Amen? You see, church, I sound like a broken record. Y'all just tell me. We've heard this before. We're fighting the wrong battle with the wrong weapons. We, we face struggle in life. We face failure in life. We face temptation in life. And we fail and we fail and we fail and we fail because we're waging with the wrong weapons. We tell people just to go feel better. We try to make people feel better. We should be taking people to the cross. We have... Bought into the mindset, this is what I'm learning. We bought into the mindset, and we here we're talking about, we talk about leading families to passionately follow Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. Not to follow a man, not to follow a system, not to follow a party, but to follow Jesus. Because he's the only one who can save us. And yet, we as, as Christian parents... We teach our children that God is, God is up there, but practically we live our lives as if He doesn't exist in the world. Because we make our own plans and then we ask God to bless them. Or we make our own plans and we fit God into our schedule when it's appropriate or when we have time for Him. There's a word for that. It's called deism. That God created the world, but then He sort of lets... We, we get to do whatever we want. That's deism. We're creating deists. We also teach our kids the idea of a a deistic therapeutic model. The therapeutic model says you come to Christ so he'll make you feel better. So he'll fulfill all your dreams and all all your wishes and, and all of those things. We find, it's true, we find fulfillment, peace, and joy in in Christ but we don't come to church to feel better. And we taught our children moralism. I remember youth group for me, youth group for me was don't do drugs, just say no. And don't, we have children in here, but don't do the things that lead to having children. That was basically the two things we were Basically, you could be a good Christian youth group person in the, you know, 80s and 90s if you didn't do do those two things. And that was all our Bible studies were on, pretty much. And they they just kind of cycled through. We've We've taught our children, don't do bad things, just do good things. But we haven't taught them why. We haven't taught them why. We've We've created a generation that sees church as a means to an end. It's a, you put this in and you get this out. We created consumerists. And so we wonder why 
we raise a generation and they don't participate in the life of the church. Because we've trained, we've trained them for something, to receive something that the church can never provide. We don't provide a product for you to buy. We point to Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. Not by our own strength and our own power can anything happen, but only by the power and grace of God can lives be transformed. Can people change? Can people pass from death to life? Not by going through a program, not by going through a Bible study, but by encountering Christ, finding Him and surrendering your life to Him and clinging on to Him more than anyone or anything else in this life. But we're, we're, we're practically deists because sometimes we give up hope thinking that God can actually do anything. We sing about Him, we read about Him. We read about these miracles that happened in the, the Scriptures, and sometimes we doubt that God can do those same exact miracles today. And He can break through any wall, and He can break down any barrier, and there is nothing our God cannot do. Amen. Now, last thing. The Israelites, they did it in God's timing. This happened in God's timing. He was in control. It happened in His power. They didn't do anything to take this wall down other than they followed God and did what He said because it did not make sense any other way. Finally, they overcame Jericho for God's glory. For God's glory. Okay? Now think about this. Remember this in our story. Don't miss this. This was the first city. I mean, every other battle they had faced was in the field, and when you get done, what have you won? You've won a field. Woohoo! There's dead bodies. You might pick up some weapons off of, you might scavenge some weapons off of your vanquished foe. A city. Now that's something. Especially to a people who had lived in tents for 40 years. Especially people who had wandered around and who were ready to settle down in one spot, seeing a city. A city meant wealth, it meant stability, it meant security. I'd like to live in that city. I mean, you can't help but think, man, we could, we could live here. This would be awesome. See that one house over there on the wall with the, like, it looks like a three-bedroom. I think we could live in that one, Amy. I think we could do that. The temptation would be to just take it for themselves. To the victor goes the spoils. And that's actually how you paid your soldiers in the ancient world. You know, you kind of had to keep them fed enough to keep them there. But, you know, to really pay him was you had to go and win battles and they got to take home whatever they could capture in the city or wherever whatever you were, you were taking over. That's, that's how you actually built, a, built a, a great army in ancient times. And here, where, where did the spoils go? 
the very first city they get to, the very first place in which they could really make a name for themselves and really generate their own property, their own security and all of that. And God says, the whole city is devoted to me. I want you to destroy everything and only the silver and gold, that belongs to me too. You need to turn that in to the treasury. Wow. Why did God do that? Why did God set it up that way? When it's by God's power, He alone deserves He alone deserves all the credit. He alone deserves all the praise. And here in this very first city, in this first major battle they're going to face in the promised land, he gets all the glory. If they, if, if they had done it another way, if, if God had let them and, and said, okay, y'all can take the gold and y'all can, you can take the horses or camels and, and all of that, whatever you find, y'all been, you've been going around the desert um, and, and now it's time for you to get blessed. Who would get the who would get the glory for the battle? Joshua. Joshua might could get the glory. The people could get the glory. But here, the way God designed it, and God set it up, and God did it, and the people of Israel followed, there was no mistake who was getting the glory. And it wasn't Joshua, and it wasn't the Israelites. It was God alone. He alone gets the glory. Now, how does that come back to us. You see, church, it's not about us. It's about Him. If there is anything that this church ever does of any good, it's not because of us. It's because of Him. If there is anything that we have or that we build, it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Him. That's right. You see, church, we get in trouble when we start, churches get in trouble when we start saying, this is my pew. You're feeling the blank. This is my pew. This is, I about knocked Amy over this morning. She didn't give me enough space because that's my spot. I have to be on that end corner right there. Heaven forbid. My name's not on that thing. That's not my pew. That's where I like to sit. It doesn't belong to me. We get in trouble when we say, that's my pew, that's my parking space. You know where my parking space is? Right next to the dumpster. Actually, I walk to free up the space. It's actually, I normally park right by the dumpster. I get dumpster parking. Because it's not, it's not my parking space. When we say it's my classroom, heaven help us when we start talking about it's my classroom, we can't do anything else in this classroom. Here, man, people have been moving around classrooms, moving upstairs, moving downstairs, swapping classrooms. That's a sign of, of help because it doesn't belong to us, does it? It belongs to Him. When we say, it's my kitchen, Lord help us. You can have too many cooks in the kitchen and 
Guys, we have an awesome kitchen over there. I mean, it's amazing. It, there's going to be enough natural gas in there. There's actually, like, I think I calculated, Mark, the range in there has, like, 330,000 BTUs. We could roast five turkeys at one time in that thing in about 20 minutes. It's not our kitchen, is it? Whose is it? It's his. You see, God wants to do an amazing thing in you and me and in this church. But we've got to be willing to let it go. You say it's not about me and it's not mine. I just took my microphone off. <laughs> Put me on up here, Richard, because it's hot. Thank you. It's not about me, and it's not about you, and it's not about this thing or that thing. It's about him and what only he can do. This morning, I want to just challenge us. What is it in your life that you need God to help you overcome? Is it your sin? Then surrender to him. Is it yourself? Then surrender to him. If it's a situation in your family, surrender it to him. If it's a situation at your job, then surrender it to him. If it's a fear, if it's something unknown, surrender it to him. Because in his time and by his power, he will help us overcome and he alone, then he alone can get the glory. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we come before you right now. We thank you for your word. We thank you that no matter what we face in this life, and Lord, we, may, we face many challenges. We, may, we face many struggles. We, may, we face ourselves. We face fears. We face, Lord, things much bigger and, and, and scarier than Jericho at times, or it feels that way. Lord, forgive us when we go off on our own time or our own plan. God, help us to hear from you and hear for your plan and your time. And Lord, in the, if, Lord if we're rushing ahead, God, help us to wait. Lord, if you're asking us to step out, Lord, give us the courage and faith to step out and follow you and surrender our lives to you. And God, we need your power. We need you to transform us. We need you to change us. We need you to save us. And Lord, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Mark's going to come. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. We just I want to invite you, whatever you brought today, I want you to surrender it to the Lord. Surrender to him in this time of invitation. This altar's open. I want to invite you to come and surrender to him today.